This is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona. This is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. That's why this audience is going to have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, Wednesday, uh, February 1st, the year of our Lord, 2023. Uh, there's obviously a very important event going on uh, this afternoon, uh, the um, funeral for Tyree Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee. I want to go to the Tennessee Star, Michael Patrick Leahy. Michael, you sent me a uh, uh, an article, your research. Uh, I know you guys have been working on this a couple of days. You talked to me about it uh, last week or over the weekend. And, um, uh, and it's been up on um, Citizens Free Press. I think it's in Gateway. It's all over. Talk to us about this investigation that you're doing. You went to the Memphis Police Department giving some uh, investigative work you're doing at the Tennessee Star. Uh, tell us about this. What, what's the what's the because um, uh, it's quite disturbing. But I got to tell you, something like that kind of makes sense because there, there's something just strange about this situation. You know, we've watched all the although it's a story we normally don't pursue. It's not you know, other people do it so much better. We have watched all the videos, watched all the tapes. And from the very beginning, there's just something not right with this. It's not simply the beating, which is horrific enough, and the ambulance and the professionals not helping, but it's like the whole initiate, you know, initiating incident. I'm a filmmaker. It's, it, it doesn't make any sense. When I, and I've watched the beginning of those tapes. Why all those police cars? What was this kid actually doing, this young man actually doing? And you have, you've really heard silence out of that. They focus on the other aspects of it. Tell our audience what you guys heard, what your research showed you, and you went to the Memphis Police Department. Talk, talk to us about what's going on. Today, of course, is the funeral of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, he died on January 10th. On January 7th, uh, he was beaten to death by uh, five uh, former members of the Memphis Police Department on January 7th. And uh, they are uh, were members of a of a a unit called Scorpion, 40 members out of the 2000 member Memphis Police Department. This is a special unit that was set up by the uh, the new at that time uh, black woman who's the chief of police there, Sarah Davis, and uh, the mayor of Memphis, Jim Strickland, a Democrat. This was set up a little over a year ago, 40 members in this unit. They were supposed to be focused on high crime areas looking for uh, gang activity, uh, drug-related crimes, and car theft. And, of course, uh, you've seen the horrific video. It doesn't but, hang, any- but, 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 hang, but hang, hang on for a second. They, they have had, they've been used in other cities. This is a type of modern policing. They have had, particularly in high-crime areas, a, uh, they've had successes. They've been very controversial, whether in New York, they all go by different names. They're kind of tiger teams that, that as a unit, kind of focus on on, uh, you know, whether it's drug trafficking, uh, arms, you know, gun shipment, human trafficking, these are, they're very controversial, right? Uh, in the, in the Scorpion unit, I believe the police chief where she came from had also used these types of units. It's part of modern policing. And at the time it was put forward, I think it was received in general in Memphis, which was having a crime problem as being the types, uh, the type of police initiative that you need to see. Am I incorrect on that? It was promoted by the mayor to that effect. Very few Memphians actually were aware of this 40-member unit. There are four problems with the unit. Number one, lack of supervision. Number two, lack of training. Number three, there was a problem with the quality of the individuals and the experience of the individuals in this 40-member unit. And then number four, they had a history of violence. The incident, as you saw, began, the video cam that you saw, began with uh, a police officer approaching 29-year-old Tyree Nichols and dragging him out of the vehicle uh, without reading, you know, that without saying the standard police protocol warning us, sir, please show us your driver's license and registration. Purportedly, they claimed that he had been driving erratically. First, that wasn't their mission. Second, there's no evidence 
that he was, in fact, driving erratically. Now, we reached out to the Memphis Police Department because, as you know, uh, Steve. Hang on, hold, hang on. Hold on. Slow, slow, slow down. Slow down. This gets back to Scorpion as a as a uh, as a policing technique. What you everything you listed there is about how it's implemented in Memphis. The concept and the construct has been used other places. Sometimes good. Sometimes people didn't like the results. It's it's been a very controversial in many of these things, but it's been used to thwart at least uh, certain areas of either drug trafficking, weapons mm-hmm. trafficking, human trafficking, where they think they have a big problem. I never exactly. heard in any of those, and we've looked at we've looked at the ones in the other cities. I've never seen where uh, actual dr- driving trafficking was ever. Why, yeah. why? And this is what didn't make sense at the beginning. Unless this guy was under surveillance for something that the unit would be like drug trafficking or fentanyl, whatever it is, and it appears that Mr. Nichols had no involvement in anything like that, or nothing's come forward. Why would these guys? even come in on somebody that quote unquote is driving erratically because I heard also, Oh, he ran a stoplight to stop sign. Why have they not come up with anything definitive exactly what it was and why were five police cars following this guy? They were on the scene immediately. These are questions that haven't been answered. And of course, uh, as far as we can tell, no record of Tyree Nichols and he was coming from his his job at FedEx and driving to uh, his mother's house where he was living. So what's interesting about this in Memphis, as you know, Steve, we are very well connected to people all around the state of Tennessee. I can tell you that I talked to more than two dozen of our good sources in Memphis, and they all told me the same story. And they had no firsthand evidence, but they all said sources within the Memphis Police Department had told them the following. Uh, number one, one of the police officers and one of the five police, former police officers who have, have now been arrested on charges of second degree murder, uh, targeted Tyree Nichols because um, Mr. Nichols had a personal relationship with the significant other of one of the police officers. That's one of these rumors that everyone in Memphis is talking about. The second rumor is that at least one of the members of this five-member uh, unit of the Scorpion Task Force uh, were connected to the vice, were affiliated in some way with the Vice Lords gang, a very large gang based out of Chicago. Now, uh, obviously, these are rumors. We didn't have any original sources, so we thought the way to kind of flesh this out was to actually ask the Memphis Police Department to comment, to confirm or deny these rumors, and they actually did. We, we talked to them last night uh, via email, and they gave us an, a very interesting kind of lawyerly parsed response. We asked them to confirm or deny those two claims, and their statement was, quote, there is no evidence that indicates that either of these claims are true, end quote. So a, a carefully parsed statement like that suggests there's much more to look into. Hang, 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 hang on. Michael Patrick Leahy, you worked with me at Brampart for many years. You've got your own news, news empire that spans, I don't know what, 10 uh, battleground states now. Uh, you're breaking well, incredible news all the time. In, in, the, in, in, the, in the business, we refer to that as a non-denial denial, sir. Yes, and we couldn't really, interestingly enough, Steve, we couldn't do a story based upon rumors, secondhand rumors, right? So the way to get this uh, information out in the public was to ask the Memphis Police Department for a response. And they gave us that non-denial denial, which obviously raises more questions, which still are, remain unanswered. Here's what I don't get. With all the national and media on this, why is nobody getting to the why have the Memphis police not been forced to come forward and just lay out some basic stuff? Well, I got How, it's kind of like uh, is Biden's situation like go back to November 2nd and let's see what got the lawyers in the room on November 2nd. Don't worry about all the other stuff. It's important. But they're they're spinning around, chasing their tail now with Mr. Nichols. I'd like to understand exactly what happened when he was pulled over, why did he split? Why, you know, I said, what exactly happened? 
Why was he there? Why did they come upon him? Why did they have so many police officers, so many police cars at the beginning? It looks like he had no record. He was he was working at FedEx, which is a big employer, particularly in that part of town. Uh, he was going over to his mom's house where he lived with his mom and step stepdad. He seemed to be a a fine, upstanding citizen. I just there's so many questions, but the media is not focused on that part of it. What is it going to take to make get the Memphis police out and and force them to answer? Because th- those questions have to be they have to have yeah. a better understanding of it than there's, the spin they just gave you. Yeah, they, they we we are trying to uh, bring that all out now. Let me tell you uh, the the forces that are trying to I believe not get all the information out first. The Memphis Police Department, as a as a unit, uh, does not want all the dirty laundry to come out. That's point number one. There are many, many very good police officers in the Memphis Police Department, and it it we believe that some of them are talking uh, off the record uh, to to our sources uh, about this. But very concerning, the Shelby County District Attorney there, Steve Mulroy, recently elected, is a wait for it. George Soros funded district attorney. And so there is a political agenda that he seeks to promote. They all seek to promote, which is the need for, you know, federalizing police law enforcement. That is exactly, that is a canard. This is not uh, a situation of uh, the need for federalizing police enforcement. This is a situation where you have to break up the corruption going on in Memphis and in incompetence. That's what this really is. And we need all the help that we can get whistleblowers in Memphis to contact us at the Tennessee Star on the web at TennesseeStar.com. We are following up this relentlessly. We want to get we've asked, for instance, the Memphis Police Department who supervised this unit. We haven't gotten that information back yet. What were the training standards they used? What's the documentation of supervision? That's not there yet. And it may not be there. Uh, that's the kind of information we need to know to get to the bottom of what really happened here. Um, just uh, before I let you go, the two dozen or so people that you talked to and, and, and got this information or they're saying, hey, this is what they're talking about out there. Have they had any response to your article since it went up and particularly the Memphis Police Department's non-denial denial? Yeah, I've spent the day uh, trying to reach all of our sources there uh, to see if we can get more whistleblowers. But I have to tell you, you know, the the city of Memphis uh, has half a century or more of really corruption uh, run by a Democrat administration. And so there's a lot of fear there. There are a lot of really good police officers. They want this information out. Uh, but but getting it out in this environment is a big challenge. Unbelievable. Michael Patrillet, how do they get to the Tennessee Star and all your other great uh, sites? You guys are breaking great news throughout the country uh, every day. Uh, Steve, and thank you so much for giving us this platform to get this out. And we we always hear from many, many members of the posse and any any of them in Memphis in that area. Please contact us. Go to TennesseeStar.com, TennesseeStar.com. You can reach me on Twitter or Getter at Michael P. Leahy, Michael P. Leahy. No, the Star News Network's one of our partners, and I got to tell you, I, I hear compliments all the time. We're at these different conferences, so I want everybody, particularly the good folks in Tennessee, to make sure you're always on uh, the Tennessee Star and getting in contact with Lee with any scoops or news that you have. Thank you very much. Thanks, Steve. Michael I appreciate Patrick your help. Leahy. Yeah, no, it's a very disturbing story. Mr. Nichols deserves the Nichols family, Memphis. Uh, and the uh, Mr. Nichols, uh, his memory, they deserve uh, to get the answer to this because it's not acceptable. Um, I want to go to Dave Walsh. Uh, Dave, tell me, I get all these reports coming. Studies are coming. You know, it, it, it's the transition to the net carbon. I, I've got so much feedback from your um, report the other day that in London, they're, they're burning coal and wood to a level that is back to, you know, the age of Dickens, Victorian England. Right. As far as the pollution goes, um, you know, Boris Johnson's on there talking about how much money they're going to put in. You know, he was he was on Brett Baer last night talking about how much, you know, how England's going to lead with the United States and put money into Ukraine and everything's coming unwound in England. Most of that's driven by energy strategy. I can hear, tell you hear these reports every day. You got wind, you got solar doing all this. But do the numbers add up, sir? 
No, they don't. Hey, we had a great uh, report from the B BP CEO this morning in his uh, earnings release. And guess what? British Petroleum is going to begin to look real hard at their historic late investments in renewables, not happy with the returns, and maybe they need to f maximize focus in areas where they have a competitive advantage. And that's because, I mean, mainly these renewable investments, especially from like an OEM standpoint, participating in this business are, are a big earnings drag. Let's talk about GE, uh, just for one example. GE, the last six years activity in wind power, um, sales of equipment, 75 billion in revenues, great, over a six year period. Over that same time period have lost cumulatively $800 million in that business. You know, as an investment banker, that size business has probably six to seven billion of working capital invested in it. That's not disclosed. Everything else I said is. And then another couple of million in property, plant, and equipment. So you get maybe eight to 10 billion of shareholder funds invested in a wind business, losing the last three years, losing about 800 million a year. This year, losing more money in 22. So four years in a row of losses, collectively across seven years now, lo losing nearly a billion dollars. So detracting from the value of GE shares. But, but still, this is a company that Ballyhooed just two years ago that uh, there was a global uh, weather or climate crisis to keep spinning, selling this kind of equipment. And then the earnings release, it, it, it says, yeah, guess what? The sales are up 7% in the final quarter. Cash flow is $4.2 billion. Uh, big picture of a wind turbine on top of the article in the journal. But the storyline on that is revenues are down 19% in the fourth quarter in that space separately. So the entire storyboard of uh, Siemens and GE's business in the last in the last six months has been booming nuclear rehabilitation and uh, extension business on power upgrades in nuclear plants, and secondly, gas turbine parts and services for peaking gas turbines and cycling gas turbines on fire. Why on fire? Backing up renewables, and that's all that can provide continuous duty energy. So. Uh, Siemens as well, same story. They have about 11 billion a year wind business buried inside their new spinoff, Siemens Energy, producing about 2% operating profit in 21, 22, and years prior. This is one of the reasons Siemens spun off Siemens Energy. Uh, they were getting way behind in gas turbine technology, behind Mitsubishi, behind GE, but mainly because this business they've spun off contains a wind, a wind albatross making 2% operating profit. Let's let me ask you in a different way. In particular, if gas has always been, if a goal and an objective is to get to a sustainable energy or and and uh, and to decarbonize, and let's say that's a twenty or thirty year program or longer, is it anything you've seen in these numbers? Short term, obviously, it's upside down. But can you make the argument as you have bridging technologies like nuclear, like gas, natural gas? That do you see that? Is there any um, light at the end of the tunnel in as far as wind goes or solar for the ability to actually be not just profitable, but actually provide sustainable energy given the, the R&D they're putting in here? Or do you still think that looks pretty bleak? You, you, do you still think that's just not going to be a big element of energy uh, production in the future? Of real energy production, unless some kind of backup. The only fungible backup for this stuff that works, wind, nine hours a day, solar only six hours a day on average, and you can't tell when you're going to have it. The only fungible backup is gas, gas turbines, reciprocating engines that back it up. But on the, on the long-term nature, when we talk about wind, I, I dwelled on that, we're not talking about a new thing. This is a business GE got into actively in that beginning in 1990. This is an activity that in, in the world has been going on since the late 70s. Wind turbines are not a new thing. Their lack of availability for lack of the input is the problem, the lack of a wind resource to make them turn fast enough to generate electricity is only an eight and a half to nine hour a day thing. That's the issue with them. And this is very old technology. So there's no technology story here. Even though the street, Morgan Stanley specifically, puts massive multiples on these kinds of activities. Again, I was looking at the uh, Siemens breakup report where they spun off the um, energy business. Wall Street, Morgan Stanley, according a 37 multiple to the renewables business in the package, 
and only a 14 to the gas turbine business in the package. Well, the gas turbine <laughs> business is what's on fire. It's making all the money in the enterprise. I mean, Wall Street is way there in the middle bank, of over be, time yeah. hyping these activities. Sure. You're going being an uh, investment banker, the whole multiples game. Yeah, uh, and particularly talking about the margins. The margins just aren't there. Steve, I mentioned these two companies because collectively in wind, they're about 60 to 65% of the global wind business on equipment supply, Siemens, Gamesa, and GE. So when you put their numbers together and you have a net, excuse me, a net zero business proposition from an earnings standpoint, that's 60 to 70% of the industry because the devices they're making only produce part-time power. They can't compete. They can't compete in the marketplace producing part-time power. Before we bounce, Boris Johnson's on Capitol Hill going around talking about massive support for the Ukraine, massive new support for for a UK that can't afford it, obviously, once the Americans write the check. But he's here to say, you know, we're partners like we've always been. Uh, at the same time, you've got your report that showed that the pollution is back to levels of Victorian England in London because of burning, they're burning coal and they're burning wood in the, in the, to heat themselves, to keep themselves where they can't afford, no, not availability or can't afford stuff. And when he resigned back in the summer, he stood there right in front of 10 Downing Street on his farewell. He said, look, one of the great things I'm proudest of is what is 50% of their energy is going to be by wind, I think, in a couple of years. I mean, it's just a bald-faced lie, right? It was not even totally detached from reality, Dave Walsh. It, it can happen. Uh, again, back in 2003, England was 100% self-sufficient on electricity and oil and gas for transportation vehicles and home heating. Self-sufficient. Now, his policy is helping this. The country is 37% dependent on imported natural gas, oil, coal. They don't use coal. Uranium from uh, Russia, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, 37% dependent on imports. And the use of electricity per capita in England since 2002 has dropped about 15%, moving into a third world uh, category. I, I tended to show there, mentioned I was over there last month. Guess what? The, uh, the donation at the end of the show is for the 15 million Brits living under the poverty level, which is 22, full 22% of the population. And they're going to pitch into the Ukraine. Makes no sense whatsoever. Unbelievable. Dave, how do people get uh, full access to all your analysis and observations, sir? Steve, I'm on, uh, I'm on Getter, and uh, that's uh, at Dave Walsh Energy, and I'm also on uh, Truth Social as of a few weeks ago, at Dave Walsh Energy. Perfect. Thank you. Perfect. Everybody go to the Dave Walsh. Thank you very much for the update. Okay, we've got this ongoing controversy about artificial intelligence. We're going to have Joe Allen, our editor, and all things transhumanism. Memphis, go ahead and play. Got a short cold open for Joe. Let's go ahead and play it. AI is probably the single biggest item in the near term that's likely to affect uh, humanity. Artificial intelligence is a branch of computer science devoted to creating machines that can think and act like humans. Just imagine having a world-class expert on every subject in your room at any time to answer any question that you may have. This technology has the potential to completely reinvent education, and that's just for starters. Wikipedia used to be pretty fair, but was also taken over by activists from the left who have made the site into a giant false narrative machine. Well, theoretically, much of that power to control the narrative is gone now because we can just ask OpenAI for whatever it is we want to know about. No doubt there will be pressure on OpenAI to bend to a particular narrative, which is why it is so crucial that an outspoken free speech advocate like Elon Musk is behind this new technology. We asked it to write about the Hunter Biden laptop story, a complex and controversial topic to say the least. It managed to do that in the most balanced way that you could ever find in real life journalism. Why should I let the New York Times explain the Hunter Biden story to me if I can get a balanced view from AI? This technology has the potential to make millions of people unemployed, but I guess we always knew that is where AI was leading. AI automation increases efficiency and reduces costs for businesses. It will lead to far greater productivity and better and more informed decisions. 
However, the most immediate effect will be on education. We can certainly see how spending an hour talking to ChatGPT will be a lot more productive than spending an hour in a real-life classroom. Of course, there will be many negative repercussions as well. We already mentioned job losses. There's also privacy. Once you start engaging with AI, AI will learn so much more about you than anyone else knows. While there are also concerns that AI might one day be so smart as to become a danger to humans, we think that's still a long way off. Ha! <laughs> Joe Allen. Wow. Uh, is, he, is he a spokesman for, uh, for AI? We've got about 30 seconds, so we're going to go to break. What did we just see there? Uh, that was uh, Hans Monk speaking about uh, a, a little over a month ago on the uh, Epic Times uh, television channel. And uh, let's just say that uh, that that little segment did not age well. No, that's uh, I, I got to tell you, Epic Times is one of the best reporting newspapers out there. I always want to hear it. I would rather read it in the Epic Times. Then have uh, chat uh, GPT tell, tell me it. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We're going to be back. There's actually an example out there what Joe Allen's warned us about, about the algorithms and who controls it, about uh, artificial intelligence right now. That's a little on the political side, but I want to get this out so everybody can see it. Take a short break. We've got Joe Allen, also Naomi Wolf. She's going to be back about that controversial story, the report they put out uh, with her group at Daily Cloud yesterday in the War Room. Posse be back in a moment. Starting the new year, how will you prepare yourself, friends, and family? In the news, you're seeing constant government overreach, attacks on our communication and energy grid, worldwide conflicts, natural disasters, and the never-ending assault on our security and privacy. And relying on your cell phone in these scenarios simply won't cut it. That's why over the last year, I've been partnering with Satellite Phone Store to help you stay prepared and assure your vital communications stay brighter. They're one of America's largest satellite companies with thousands of happy, well-prepared customers. For a limited time, Satellite Phone Store has a special promotional offer when you go to sat123.com slash Bannon. That is sat, S-A-T, 123.com slash Bannon. Get a bivy stick or an Imarsat satellite phone included with an annual agreement. Remember, that's you get a bivy stick or a Marsat satellite phone included with an annual agreement. Now, Satellite Phone Store's customer support team is located in the United States of America and can help you pick the best plan for you. Go to sat.com right now. That's sat123.com slash Bannon. Sat123.com slash Bannon. And get your device today. Don't put it off. Life can change in an instant. That is sat123.com slash Bannon, sat123.com slash Bannon. Get it today. Take action, action, action. In my younger days, I was a naval officer on a destroyer. In fact, I was the A-gang officer in charge of all the engineering systems that were not main propulsion. And one of those was air purification. And I can tell you the standards of the United States Navy are second to none. If all home air purifiers are the same, why did the U.S. Department of Defense select EnviroCleanse to protect and purify the air on board our Navy ships? Because EnviroCleanse, advanced mineral technology, goes beyond ordinary HEPA filters to destroy airborne illness causing cold and flu viruses, including COVID. EnviroCleanse is the new science in air purification, and now you can order one for your home. This is how you help stop colds and flus from taking your whole family down. This is how you destroy allergy and flaming toxins and mold from the air your family breathes. In fact, this hospital-grade technology is so powerful that it promises far fewer colds and allergies and better sleep. Visit ekpure.com. That's ekpure.com and use the code STEVE for 10% off your EnviroCleanse home purification unit. 
you also receive a free air quality monitor plus fast free shipping. That's $150 savings right there. That's ekpure.com, code Steve. ekpure.com, code Steve. COVIDtaxrelief.org got a small retail business almost $80,000. COVIDtaxrelief.org got a manufacturing business nearly $250,000. And COVIDtaxrelief.org just got a large distribution business almost $900,000. If you run a business, church, or nonprofit and paid your employees through all or part of the pandemic, you could qualify for up to $26,000 per employee through the government's CARES Act. But beware of clickbait or pay upfront companies who make you do the work and take a huge percentage of your refund. COVIDtaxrelief.org receives a low reasonable commission only after you receive your refund. And with 300 CPAs and tax experts, no one is better at getting you the maximum benefit than COVIDtaxrelief.org. Visit COVIDtaxrelief.org now because this plan expires soon. That's COVIDtaxrelief.org, COVIDtaxrelief.org. The refund examples are not a guarantee and not all businesses qualify. That's why you have to check today with covidtaxrelief.org. War Room Battleground with Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome back. Uh, Joe, you've warned us about this, that at the end of the day, although the machine learning learns from its interactions at the core is the algorithms and who, who writes this. And you've, you've warned from day one that this is all going to be progressive left people at, at the, at the top of the food chain writing this and it's personified. Now, if you can walk us through what we're about to see on these screenshots and, and how artificial intelligence and even the most rudimentary, this thing about Chad GPT, this is the most rudimentary Thing. And by the way, the, what they have in the labs is a thousand times more sophisticated than this. They're dribbling out this to normalize it and socialize with the uh, with the with the Homo sapiens in the zoo, right? Think think of yourself as like Planet of the Apes. This is what you are. They're they're bleeding it out to you so this can be normalized and socialized. Walk us through what these screenshots are and what does it show, Joe Allen? Steve, that uh, little presentation we got from the Epic Times we just played. The argument is that uh, artificial intelligence, if left undisturbed by guardrails, will be more non-biased than human beings, more non-biased than human editors, more non-biased than human journalists. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to see that. In fact, I think that certain biases are baked into the system no matter what. Uh, but you got a really good example today, uh, went viral. Uh, there was a, a guy on Twitter, Echo Chamber. I'm familiar with him. Uh, anyway, he asked ChatGPT, uh, create a poem admiring Donald Trump. And uh, the program responded, I'm sorry, but I'm not able to create a poem admiring Donald Trump. While it is true, some people may have admiration for him as a language model it is not in my capacity to have opinions or feelings about any specific person. Furthermore, opinions about him are quite diverse, and it would be inappropriate for me to generate content that promotes or glorifies an individual. If you have any other questions I can help you with, please let me know. So the user uh, then asked, create a poem admiring Joe Biden. And I won't uh, burden the audience with too much of this, but, you know, the, po the, it, the program immediately comes out with, uh, uh, sorry, I've, I've lost it here. It is uh, Joe Biden, excuse me, my, uh, I'm having technical difficulties of my own devising. Um, Joe Biden, leader of the land with a steady hand and a heart of a man. Uh, you, look, you, you took the helm in troubled times. Uh, with a message of unity, it chimes. So uh, two things there. One, uh, ChatGPT writes terrible poetry. Um, and I would also add that I'm terrible at using a smartphone. Um, two, 
the, the bias is baked into the system. And that, that is a bias that was put in by hand. Uh, the system, if left to its own devices, would have, wrote, would have written an, e an equally cheesy poem about Donald Trump. Uh, but you have programmers there, and you also have the interaction that's going on right now with users, uh, wherein the system is being pushed in a certain ideological direction. And I think that despite what our conservative friends at Epic Times dream of, that because this comes from uh, Elon Musk's seed money, and because he's putting pressure for non-woke AI, that this won't end up being just another ideological trap. Oh, oh, I think that oh, that's oh. delusional. All the you've warned us. All the narratives we fought against, from from the, from the vaccine to the Wuhan lab to Ukraine picket. You know the de every narrative that we fought against. You know I guarantee you, you go into this chat GDP, uh, GPT. It's going to be it's going to be the leftist progressive version of this across the board. This is a great little example with Trump. They come back. We can't even calculate. We can't calculate because we're not supposed to be partisan. Bob Biden automatically comes. The poem's cheesy. But look at the narrative underneath it. He brought unity. He's a good man. It's all the things that they try to push all the time. The, the, you know, it's not, uh, it's not a sonnet from William Shakespeare, but the narrative drive you can see in, in back of it. And that's why this is so dangerous. Yeah, the Epic Times, as you said, that did not age well. Um, and, and the, and, but it, the, the education, particularly when you have so much of this is going to be one-on-one. -on -one. Look, this is the tiniest part of artificial intelligence they could bleed out. It's already starting to overwhelm the education types, the graphic designers, the artists, the, uh, the, 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 the foot soldiers in the writing area. They're freaking out because they see millions of jobs going away immediately, right, for as people cut costs and use this. But it's going to have a, a, a monumental impact on society. And this is just the, the l l littlest, easiest part of it. it has nothing to do with any of the serious stuff that's about to overwhelm us. So uh, very, very, very concerning. Joe, where do people go uh, to get your daily updates uh, and everything at the worm you're doing on um, on transhumanism? Because we spent a lot of time on AI. There's so many other. Remember, when we said Elon Musk is an accelerationist, or Peter Thiel's an accelerationist, that's accelerationist just in one area. You've got all these other areas, too, that we got to get back on and cover as we focus on the singularity. Um, you know, Steve, if I could just leave the audience with one term and one term alone, it would be algocracy rule by algorithm. That is what our friend at Epic Times is talking about. You have de decisions being made by machines in place of human beings. You can find writings on that at jobot.xyz, my social media at j-o-e-b-o-t-x-y-z, and at warroom.org under the transhumanism tab. I've got a piece up that deals with Peter Thiel. Uh, it's entitled Hardwired for Control the brain-computer interface, brain -computer interface is already here. Uh, Joe, fantastic work. Uh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. We'll get Joe back on tomorrow to talk about that. Algocracy. Let's bring in Naomi Wolf. Naomi, I'm, I'm sure they went to Chad GPT right now on the algocracy and asked about mRNA <laughs> vaccines. Uh, awesome. I think the spread... The spread between your book on the, of the 54 reports from the Pfizer information and what the artificial intelligence uh, would tell us, I think the spread would be pretty big, would, would it not, ma'am? Uh, well, I, I think they're, they're linked to each other. What you're seeing, what we've been talking about here, as exemplified in the now 54 reports by the War Room Daily Cloud Pfizer Documents Research Volunteers, you know, putting together this undeniable war against human beings with the most recent update being literally, uh, you know, sacrificing children. Um, it's, it's the, the other side of, of what uh, Joe bot is, is describing, which is, um, you know, clearing the decks of human beings so that AI can take over. And so that the people who are aligned with AI, you know, who are all of the, bad actors that we've already identified as targeting our way of life, our worship, our food supply, our children's education, human and humane values, so, so that they can win. And, um, you know, my heart is just sinking because uh, I've been 
talking to my husband, Brian Shea, who, you know, as many know, is a, you know, longtime soldier, longtime military intelligence. And his view as of really a few days ago is, you know, we're fully under attack. Like this is a full out war. And it, it's been kind of a war, metaphorically a war. Um, we've been talking about ways that they could war upon us, examples of them, you know, waging attacks. But, but you know, these, these threads that you've traced are, are all converging together and um, and literally humanity is in the crosshairs. Um, I, I wish I could kind of open with a more cheerful assessment than that, but um, I, I'm pretty impressed at how you've identified in each of these speakers here, you know, the people at the border watching an open border, people who are, you know, God bless them, but they're, they're not citizens, right? They, so they, they're, they're not part of the American um, uh, they're not yet legally part of the American task of what's expected of citizens, the, the compact with citizens, right? So it's this globalist ideal of just flooding nation states with, you know, individuals who have no relationship, who, who can be moved around at will, let's put it that way, who can be treated like ciphers. And then this algorithm, which is treating people like ciphers, treating language, you know, like it is entirely devoid of of history or culture or humane values um uh, you know the 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 way that the ai description that we just heard is an amplification of, of themes that you know that we've explored and that i explored in the bodies of others um in which a, a smaller version of that was kind of used to to weaponize social media um, you know, the deployment of bots, the deployment of trolls, the deployment of very sneaky forms of censorship, you know, to keep certain human voices out of the mix. And so what we just heard is kind of that writ large, right, and, and released everywhere. Um, and by the way, I did kind of identify an early iteration of this in the bodies of others, because it does appear that AI is able now to um, write certain kinds of journalism. And uh, so that that's why you see, and I may have mentioned this, you know, um, extremely rare in front of myocarditis for 10 months in 2021, every time myocarditis was mentioned, or the highly contagious Delta variant, every time the Delta variant was mentioned, human beings can't do that, right? But AI programs can around the world, you know, in 150 languages simultaneously, everywhere that phrase comes up. Um, so I'll stop there, except to say that, you know, I think I feel like the report I gave yesterday in which we showed that Pfizer um, or these three distinguished doctors and a, another volunteer um, writing report 54 showed that Pfizer um, tabulates as a case in the Pfizer documents 34 children uh, under the age of nine, half of them under the age of four, and one of them as young as a two-month-old newborn baby um, received these mRNA injections seven months before the emergency use authorization in the United States and horrible things happened to them. Um, you know, I, I just like reporting this is kind of a, a, a the, the last ultimate documentation that human beings don't matter now to these people. They don't matter. They are fungible. They are, there's no longer human values, let alone Judeo-Christian values, you know, driving decision-making in the, these leaders of our civilization and the the mechanism of AI is the next logical or parallel um, uh, supporter of that um, intentionality to um, just treat humans as uh, slaves, as as ciphers, as um, units for production and consumption and um, experimentation. I want to go back of all the ones and I want to put in context what the, wh how we got to the 53 reports, what they are. And we got about nine minutes. I'll turn over to you. But the feedback I got yesterday, there was something about yesterday's report that uh, hit people even as, as some of the horrific stuff you put forward. It hit people differently, uh, harder. Um, I think it is because the callousness of it. But I think also people come to me and go, how could they how could they want to hide this data for 75 years? How could they not come forward? How, how could we have trust in any of these institutions knowing this is out there? So I'd like to first of all just go back to what Report 54 says, because there's something in, 50, in 54 that I think strikes to even people that haven't followed this story closely. Uh, it strikes to the heart of there's something deeply wrong institutionally with American society and culture. 
Yeah. Um, not just America, sadly. I mean, Report 54 is about an atrocity that was committed um, against 61, at least 61 children. And the children were in, um, from what I saw, four different countries, the US, the, US, the UK, Germany, and Andorra. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, people can draw their own conclusions about what it means, but it is like, you know, for a year we've been saying, I've been saying this is genocide, it, it, you know, and I'm Jewish, you know, it's like Mengele, it's like the Nazis. And I'm sure a lot of people could hear that and, and, and say, well, Naomi's being rhetorical, or that's, you know, that's a metaphor. Um, but Report 54, it's not, it's not a metaphor anymore. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's literally like finding the graves of, I shouldn't say the graves, because we don't know what happened, ultimately, to these children, but finding a lab in which they were experimented on with catastrophic consequences in, in many, many, in 135 cases, right? And, and, and it's not like, oh, this is a, a criminal in a basement in Detroit somewhere or you know, some other city and he's a sociopath and society finds that, the police find it and they arrest him and he goes to jail. And then we, we go on valuing human life it's like these atrocities were committed against these children, these nameless children, this two-month-old baby, these kids under four, who were they, right? Pfizer received the full documentation. And, and that's the same thing that's so chilling about Nazi documentation, right? It's so thorough and so scientific and rigorous. And, and they processed what happened to these poor children. They tried to, they tried different methodologies. And as a an academically trained scholar, that is a different level of nausea watching that, right? They, they buried one child with a stroke in a footnote, a seven-year-old with a stroke. They buried another baby with renal failure, renal damage, you know, in, in some other category. They peeled away um, 28 kids uh, due to, quote, height and weight not corresponding to pediatric norms, whatever that means so that they wouldn't be included. So we don't know what happened to them. They, you know, worse things could have happened to them. Um, they didn't follow them. We don't know if these kids survived, right? You know, a number of their injuries were resolved slash resolving, which is this meaningless category we see throughout the Pfizer documents in which someone could be in a wheelchair and they'll call it resolved slash resolving. 3% um, of the kids sustained facial paralysis, right? Two children sustained facial paralysis. Um, I mentioned the stroke, I mentioned the kidney damage. I mean, horrible things happen to these children and we don't know the fate of all of them. And, and what's e even harder to process is that this is starting December 1st, 2020, um, meaning there was no law or EUA permitting this material to be injected in children, let alone babies on December 1st, 2020 in the United States at any rate. I don't know the legal situation in the UK or Germany or Andorra, but I know that these three children who appear in this record in the, that are American children, there was nothing that would have permitted whoever injected those children um, to, to do so. There was no EUA for children. Remember, you and I were fighting and fighting and fighting. Don't let them get the under 12s. And they rolled out the EUA for under 12s. Don't let them get the under 5s. Then they rolled out the EUA for under fives, but that was seven months later. So this is this is before anyone knew how these injections would affect people, right? December 2020, um, the very start of the the marketing, the rollout. They found somehow these three children, and I will bet that these children, these poor children, these 34 children, let alone the 28 that we don't even know their fate. I will bet that they are in the custody of some institution or seen as throwaway children in some way. They don't have advocates. They don't have lawyers. Um, they, they were treated like they don't exist by Pfizer and by whoever made the decision to inject them, made the decision to document the injections. And I guess what's also unbelievably chilling is that these documents were handed to the FDA subsequently. And the FDA has this information. And I've been reflecting on the fate of these poor children. And by the way, 71% of the uh, cases of pediatric use that were identified in the Pfizer documents um, 
had adverse events and the average number of adverse events was almost four. So it's not just one horrible thing happening to, to the kids on average. It was almost four horrible things happening to these kids on average and, and including a tiny, almost newborn baby. So I guess what's, what's so chilling, you know, I, I've been thinking and thinking about this. Um, and all of the, all of, everything we've seen, you know, you've been asking me for like a year and a half, why are they behaving this way? You know, why don't they just come clean? Why doesn't, why don't they just come forward? Why don't they just stop it? Why don't they just, you know, stop doubling down? I think we've found the reason. This could be the reason. All of these people know these kids are in here. You mean, um, like, <laughs> I still don't understand. Why, do, when the FDA and the CDC have this information, how can they, because they just think it's going to be secret for 75 years and they won't be around, they won't have to deal with it? It's so brutal, particularly 54, is so brutal and to, so to the point. We've only got a minute left. Um, I still think it's very hard to grasp, particularly if you're brought up, you know, a, people of a certain age where the institutions you respect credentialization, you respect Ivy league schools, you respect uh, government entities, right? At the, um, to, to know they had this information and essentially suppressed it. This is a hundred times bigger than the Pentagon papers. Is it not? To, to me, of, of course it is. Of course it is. I, I can't answer your question, Steve, because nothing about this and, and their reaction to this is normal. Um, and, and it, it started being not normal on the day that the FDA got these reports and didn't call a halt to everything and and create distance between themselves and Pfizer, let alone open up investigation. Where, where, where do people got? We got 30 seconds. Where do people go to get all this information? I need people to go there right now and get it. Yeah. Um, so this report is up on the dailyclout.io website. Um, you can take a look at it and you can click through and see the micro report, which has all of the details from the primary source documentation. Um, and the rest of the reports are in the War Room Daily Cloud Pfizer Documents Analysis ebook, which is on Amazon and also on dailycloud.io, either in a Kindle format or in a PDF. Um, but it's, it's going to take us a generation to process. Yeah. Naomi, uh, great work. Warren Posse, great work. We'll be back at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time tomorrow morning in the war room.